0: the biz news power
1: hour well good afternoon it's a monday the 25th of october 2021 and you with alec hogg and our team for the biz news power hour Well, as always, we give you all the news that matters and we're going to be kicking off after our market report with an interview that Justin Roe Roberts had with David Shapiro today. And in the headlines there, Justin Bell equipment, which is going to leave the stock market, but it's paying less than what a lot of the traders wanted it to pay. What's the story?
2: It doesn't actually look like it's going to leave the JSC. They haven't yet got any irrevocables from any of the major shareholders other than the Bull family, which does own 72%. However, the Bull family are not able to vote in the resolution, which is taking place later in November. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. David thinks that it's not going to go ahead. But other than local news, a lot of the tech earnings, we obviously um, heard from Netflix and Tesla last week. They both outperformed expectations. And this week, a whole lot of Fang earnings, including a lot of companies in the business portfolio.
1: Yeah, indeed. We will be watching very closely tomorrow when Microsoft's numbers come out. That's after uh, we, well, it's it's nighttime South African time. And then on Thursday, we have the results from uh, Amazon and Apple. Now, between those three stocks, they make up more than 50% of the business news portfolio. They've done fantastically well for us, but we will be watching them very closely. Also tonight, um, Jared Jared Neves, our uh, colleague, has got a very interesting good hope Kind of an interview, Jared, with the Cape Town Opera.
3: Yes, it's a lovely interview. You actually don't realize how much work goes into these opera companies and uh, indeed artistic companies, background at least.
1: So we'll find out how they actually keep themselves going and how they've kept going in the pandemic. I remember meeting the CEO in uh, London some years ago. Very, very
3: vibrant uh, American lady. I'm not sure if she's still there. No, no, not now. Uh, but the gentleman that I did speak to, he said that, uh, for example, something I never knew, ticket sales, for example, take up a very, very small percentage of the uh, annual profits. Yeah, so they,
1: uh, the reason they were in London was to talk to people like Sir Mick Davis uh, to help to keep the Cape Town Opera going. Also, tonight we have uh, the third interview with the major contenders for the uh, Mayor- mayoral… A chain, I suppose you could call it, of Johannesburg. Uh, this time it's the DA's candidate. And then we'll also be hearing from Treasury One's Andre Salir, who uh, spoke to Justin a little earlier today. But before we get into the market report and the news headlines, uh, Jared, you can bring us up to date with what people are reading, listening and watching in the BizNews Network.
3: So the most access stories on the Business platforms on our website, biznews.com, France KZ KZN after the riots, new players take power, looking to apply for British citizenship. This is what you can expect. And DA takes on its former Joburg mayor, Herman Mashaba, our best read stories on Business TV on YouTube, David Shapiro on Insider Trading, the most recent flash briefing. And Magnus Haystick on Regulation 28 are among the most popular videos. And then on Business Radio on Spotify, our most popular podcasts include David Lersch, head of equities at Sunlum Private Wealth, shares his views on MTN. David Shapiro on US Tech, Ascendus, Bull, and Sabanier, And Bernard Swanapool is an astute addition to the event board. Thanks very much, Jared.
1: BrightRock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets means change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Okay, Nadia, what's in the news
4: today? South Africa faces an increased risk of power outages because maintenance needs to be carried out at deteriorating coal-fired power stations, the state energy utility said. The availability of electricity from Eskom Holdings plants was lower overall this year than the previous financial year, and the current performance is below target, Group COO Jan Urbiros said in a presentation on Monday. However painful in the short term, this maintenance we have to do in order to ensure future reliability, he said. ESCOM has announced that stage two load shedding will return from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. on the nights of Monday and Tuesday. Aspen Pharmacare Holdings opened the Southern Hemisphere's largest general anesthetics manufacturing line, adding production at the South African plant where it fills and packages the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. The extension will see products generating 8 billion rand a year relocated to the coastal town of Klebeja from Europe, CEO Stephen Saad told reporters. Aspen shifted the production of drugs for late-stage cancer, Parkinson's disease, and some autoimmune illnesses to the factory in 2018. Last year, it started making the J&J shot there. This facility will help ensure that no African is ever denied these treatments like anesthetics and vaccines again, SART said. And a News 24 investigation alleges that reporting systems implemented by former ESCOM CEO Machele Koko may have been incentivizing managers to underreport problems during his tenure to artificially inflate system performance, all to the detriment of the grid and possibly exacerbating the issues the power utility faces today. According to the report, the system rewarded managers for meeting generation targets and threatened suspension without pay if expectations were not met. Historical data shows that reported data during Corco's tenure and under the system is inconsistent with data both before and after this period. Corco has denied the allegations. And now to my colleague Justin for the market report. The JSC All Share Index is flat at 67,000. In the currency
2: markets, the rand was weaker against all the major currencies to 14 rand 77 cents to the dollar, 20 rand 32 cents to the pound and 17 rand 14 cents to the euro. Gold is up at $1,802 an ounce. Kruger rand will cost around 28,000 rand. Brent crude is up at $86.40 a barrel and Bitcoin is trading at 930,000 rand per coin. In the financial news, Sibania Stillwater is in advanced talks to buy two Brazilian mining companies for about $1 billion, including debt, a bet on continued demand for metals used in the production of electric car vehicles. Sibania confirmed the talks on Monday without disclosing the valuation under discussion. It would acquire Atlantic Nickel, which operates the Rita Mine, one of the world's biggest open-pit nickel sulfide mines, and Morocco Valverde, which is a developing copper and gold mine. The deal is expected to be announced in the coming days, assuming it doesn't fall apart, people familiar with the matter said. Miners are racing to secure supplies of metals that will be needed to keep pace with rising demand for electric vehicles. Nickel is a component to the cathodes that go into lithium, iron, ore batteries used by most car makers. Cenders Health CEO Mark Sardy has resigned just weeks after shareholders approved a restructuring deal that will leave it purely a purely SA based company and could result in a delisting from the JSE. Saadi joined the health and wellness company in October 2019 and was tasked with turning it around operationally and cleaning up its balance sheet. He oversaw a challenging liquidity environment during COVID-19, enabling the company to successfully service high levels of patient demand. He also helped to craft a strategy and business plan for the group's remaining operations to continue capitalizing on earnings momentum and drive shareholder value, the company said in a statement on Friday.
1: Thank you, Justin and Nadia now we're going to be hearing in just a moment from our colleagues at the Financial Times in London. This Daily Market Report was made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your
0: life changes. Today is Monday, October 25th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Poland has accused the EU of putting a gun to its head when it comes to funding and the rule of law. And Russian mercenaries are accused of committing atrocities in the Central African Republic. Plus, the hit series Squid Game is the latest splash from South Korea's
5: global wave of cultural exports. But its biggest fans have long been in Asia. Look at China. The face which gets the most requests to be copied for plastic surgery is that of Go Yun-jung. She's a 25-year-old South Korean actress.
0: China's government isn't a fan of South Korean entertainment these days. We'll find out what that means for Korea's culture industry. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need. Poland's Prime Minister has escalated the tensions between Warsaw and Brussels. The EU and Poland have been at odds over the rule of law, and the European Commission has threatened Poland with legal and financial sanctions. Poland's Prime Minister, Mateusz Morawiecki told the FT that withholding funds is unfair and that the EU is holding a gun to Poland's head. He urged Brussels to withdraw its threats. Morawiecki warned that if the European Commission starts the Third World War by withholding promised cash to Warsaw... Poland would defend its rights with any weapons that are at its disposal. The standoff has already delayed approval of Brussels' COVID-19 economic recovery package for Poland. Russian mercenaries surged into the Central African Republic at the end of last year. Locals initially welcomed them for pushing rebel insurgents out of the towns, now, locals reported horrific stories of rape, torture and murder at the hands of these heavily tattooed Russian private soldiers who have been linked to the Kremlin. The FT's West Africa correspondent Neil Munchi went to the CAR to find out more.
6: Russia maintains that they only have unarmed instructors in the country, but UN officials, foreign diplomats, security officials in the country, civilians, opposition figures and pretty much anyone else you could name, say that, in fact, the Russian fighters who are in the country, most of them are mercenaries from this network of companies called Wagner.
0: Neil, what's the Wagner Group doing there? What what are they hoping to accomplish?
6: So, according to analysts and others who know the group well, as a sort of informal extension of the Kremlin, it allows Russia to, at very low cost, both politically and monetarily, to kind of regain some of the global sphere of influence that they had during the Cold War. And they can do it with a level of plausible deniability because they don't acknowledge, and the Central African government doesn't acknowledge, that there are any mercenaries there. And they can't be held accountable for any of the alleged human rights violations or alleged possible war crimes that the UN Human Rights Council's working group on mercenaries and others have accused the mercenaries of committing.
0: Has the government said anything in response to these mercenaries? Do they do they want them to stay or leave? No, I mean that's the thing. The government, uh, though they do
6: not acknowledge that these mercenaries are there, there are no signs that they are disappointed with the Russian presence or that they have any plans to break off that. Relationship. And in fact, most people, if you talk to them from diplomats to the UN to security sources to civilians, would say that the government stands today in a lot of ways because of the Russian presence.
0: Neil Munchy is the FT's West Africa correspondent. Squid Game is Netflix's biggest ever series launch. Not only that, the South Korean drama helped Netflix double the number of new subscribers over the past year. But Squid Game is only one small piece of South Korea's massive pop culture export industry. The 2013 song Gangnam Style gave Westerners a taste of what consumers in Asia had been feasting on for years. There's an enormous menu of K-pop bands, video games, TV dramas, and movies. Just remember how big the film Parasite was. And now the industry's worth more than $100 billion a year. Here's the FT's Ed White.
5: Clearly, the Korean production houses have landed on something of a recipe that really works. I mean, this is a mix of drama, aspiration, romance, intrigue, comedy, and, and audiences are responding to this. For the music, the groups like BTS, many people see the success in their sort of versatility. They perform songs and dances that are cross genres, uh, pretty simple messages, all of it seems to have um, pretty broad appeal. When the Koreans have success, they are very, very good at replicating it. Now, it appears that they've found these recipes for success in gaming and in film and in TV and even in making music. Um, And they're starting to find new ways to produce them at a lower cost and at a scale that other people just don't seem to be able to do. Now, what this looks like in the real world is that as we speak, there are literally thousands and thousands of children, uh, teenagers, learning how to sing, how to dance, how to act, and they're in basement studios across Seoul, training their hearts out to be the next BTS or the next Blackpink or the next big K-drama star. Uh, Seoul is also creating a sort of hub where it's attracting a huge amount of talent from around Asia. So aspiring young actors and singers and dancers from Japan, Taiwan, China, Southeast Asia, they are all trying to get to Seoul to try and make it here. This is just the same as you've seen for years and years with aspiring um, artists and actors going to Los Angeles or to Hollywood to try and make it in the U.S.
0: So bigger picture, Ed, how important are pop culture exports to the overall South Korean economy?
5: Consider the context. As South Korea is, you know, has water on three sides. It's got the heavily guarded North Korean border to the north. It's really essentially an island with fairly limited natural resources. So this industry is actually uh, becoming really quite important. Um, and it's been taken quite seriously, not just by audiences, but by investors as well. So Ed, as you've
0: reported, China and, and really Chinese consumers have been a huge part of the success of the Korean wave. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that?
5: China has played a critical role uh, for the development of the South Korean entertainment industry. The Chinese market accounts for actually more than half of the industry's sales revenue, and that's because some of the most popular games inside China have actually been developed by Korean companies. And then there have also been really quite successful partnerships between the Korean gaming companies and some of China's biggest tech giants, like the likes of Tencent. Uh, There is also just a lot of spillover from the popularity of uh, the Korean entertainment groups with Chinese consumers. And this has been important also for marketing and for advertising opportunities for Korean companies generally. Korean car ads, for instance, when Hyundai has traditionally advertised in China, they'll try and use a K-pop band like the likes of BTS. And it's the same for Samsung's electronics products and many, many other products as well.
0: So it occurs to me uh, that that this means that south korean companies might be vulnerable to the current crackdown in china right now right
5: really at the moment we're still sort of surveying the damage over the past couple of months you know there has just been this unparalleled effort by the government under xi jinping in china to address what they see as these social ills and that encompasses tech, it encompasses gaming and also entertainment industries. And so those are all key industries for the South Koreans. Um, Gaming developers are probably the worst hit so far, just from a sort of monetary point of view. Uh, This isn't just an impact from the crackdown on the number of hours that uh, Chinese gamers are allowed to play online, particularly children. But it's also the, the fact that the process for licensing new games has become basically glacial. It's taking years and years. And so the opportunities for growth for these companies that have been successful traditionally, they are really starting to dwindle. And with this pressure also, you're starting to see basically the South Korean uh, entertainment companies that have traded off that. The way that the Chinese customers recognize Korean brands, that has started to be impacted as well. So the advertising opportunities for Korean pop stars, they're starting to, to slowly die off also in China. And then the other thing is, it's just in general, the, you have a situation with the Chinese government and Chinese consumers really supporting more homegrown content and homegrown industries. And this is going to potentially be a much longer term impact, but one that will, it's already starting to hurt the companies, the Korean companies, but I think it's going to go for a a lot longer too.
0: Ed White reports on China and Korea for the Financial Times. Before we go, we have a weather forecast for you, courtesy of Fox News. Lachlan Murdoch has invested $10 million in a bid to get Fox News to launch a 24-hour weather streaming app. Fox News is owned by Lachlan's dad, Rupert. The move comes as cable news networks are losing audiences since Donald Trump left the White House. Now, some worry about Fox's ability to report the weather accurately. Some of the network's biggest on-air personalities have questioned the threat of global warming. One of them, Tucker Carlson, called the climate change threat a liberal invention. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news.
2: I'm Joshua Roberts of BizNews, and with me for today's Market Insights is SASFIN Securities' David Shapiro. Let's start with a bit of a recap of last week, a relatively boring week for the local market, if you can call it that. But lots happening in global markets, especially the U.S., with the S&P 500 and Dow Jones climbing to new all-time highs, despite the same concerns, supply chain disruptions, and inflation fears still lingering. What's driving global markets higher?
7: I think confidence. I think consumers are feeling better. They, they, they're feeling better about what's out there. Remember, there's huge amount of savings that were accumulated uh, during 2020 and also during this year, during lockdown. And I think that needs to come out. Everybody wants to go out and spend it. So jobs are around. I'm talking in the global markets, uh, certainly in the US. So I think if you put all of that together, you, you know there are two other elements as well. I think the China story is beginning to settle down as well. Um, not that they're going out there to spend, but I think they're pulling their you know pulling back or dialing back and people are getting a little more confident about uh, where China is. Uh, they're downgrading their growth, but I think this is controlled by the Chinese government. it's it's a difficult area to understand, but we're not feeling the same kind of threat that we did. Um, inflation still a big story. I think the labour side still a big story. We can't make head or tail of that, you know, of of whether that is a threat or not. But I think broadly, just some people want to go out there and spend? And I think we'll see something very similar here uh, as the weather improves, as we come to the end of the school year. I think South Africans are tired of being locked down, and uh, vaccinations are increasing. I think you're going to see a spending splurge. And you know what's a good time? You know when we're going to test it is that we start November the 11th with Singles Day in China, Alibaba. And for me, that's going to be, I wouldn't say a watershed moment, but I want to see what people spend, you know, and particularly for Alibaba. So I think overall, you know, things are okay.
2: Staying on the U.S. theme, Tesla and Netflix released results last week, both better than expected. Tesla up 7% for the week, Netflix up just more than 5%. Much has been said about the lofty valuations in the tech-specific sector, which both of these companies fall into. However, they keep on making new all-time highs. What's the biggest risk to technology-centric companies at the moment?
7: I, you, you, you know what worries me is, is uh, what we saw from Snap how that's going to affect advertising. And I I must be honest, Justin, I can't get, once more, I'm battling through it and watching very, very carefully. Tonight we get Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet. And I think that's going to point towards what companies have been doing. When you think about it, okay, businesses have to advertise. You know, it's just a matter of the quantum. So I've been been looking at Facebook and saying, are people getting bored of it? You know, people are no longer sending their friends pictures, Instagram, the same thing. But if you're a business, you've got no choice but to use those platforms to advertise. Otherwise, where do you go or how do you get your message out and at what pace? So I'm conflicted about this. People are starting to get bored with the social media businesses. But on the other hand, if you need to look up something, where do you go? You go to their Facebook page, you know, to see – latest offerings and and so on you want to know how to clean your carpet you go to youtube you know (laughs) and 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 you have to suffer the um the adverts Uh, i i'm still trying to find my way through it but i still think that uh they're not going to lose ground the outlook still remains pretty positive on netflix it's it's content now i think good content you'll get the subscribers Come out with a good movie. I don't know. You know, Squid. What's it called? Squid, Squid game. game. And it's
2: quality David. Yeah. It, I'd recommend you yes, watch it when right. you got a second.
7: <laughs> but it's it's a record uh, show, and it's bringing in millions. So so yeah, being cynical about oh subscriber go down. Yet come out with a good show, everybody flocks back. So I, I'm on balance, I'm positive. You know, I'm still very positive, but I like to keep challenging uh, that that those views.
2: As you mentioned, David, uh, the lion's share of the fangs are releasing results this week: Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Facebook. I know you hold a few of these names in your bottom drawer.
7: Which results are you most looking forward to? Um, I'm worried about Facebook. So you know we love to hate him, <laughs> and yet you can't do without him. This I'm talking Zuckerberg, but um, Amazon, I, I, you know, Amazon and Alphabet are the ones that that, that I'm very keen to look at. Um, Amazon, from a point of view um, of cloud, you know, of their of their web services, and also generally how they're faring against increasing competition, as well as you know, Prime. They're where things are tight. You know, we've gone through so many things at the moment, especially the, the shortage of delivery. How is that affecting them uh, where there has been a squeeze on supply chain? So I think all these numbers are going to be very important to go through. Don't get carried away by the knee-jerk reactions of markets. You know what I'm saying? Because markets react on, need, on, on the immediate release. Go through the results. Listen to what the corporations have to say themselves. You get a much better feel from those uh, transcripts or, or even listening to the webcasts or, or podcasts.
2: Taking it back to the JSE, Ascender CEO Mark Sardi has resigned after two painful years trying to turn the debt laden pharma company around. This comes merely weeks after shareholders have approved a restructuring deal that will most likely see Ascendus delisted from the JSC. Is this a story
7: you've been following? I only follow it because everybody else follows it. You know, when I look at it, it's a 500 million Rand company. Uh, but you know, I don't. Please, I don't like to dismiss them because I think smaller businesses give you great insights into what's happening in the economy. Don't? It's not all about big businesses. So I like to read the stories. You know, uh, you've got Bell another story that's happening. There's so many little um, influences on the, on the market, and they, you know, when you read through them, you get an insight into why is Bell delisting. You know. Why do they want to take it off? What's the story? What are they seeing in our economy? The same thing with Ascendus. You know, it's always been one of these, Ascendus has been one of these companies that's created a lot of attraction or a lot of friction in the market and a lot of ups and downs and that. So, uh, but, I, you know, I don't like to see companies go for whatever reason. And, and I would have preferred them to turn it around and to, to start building up rather than going just, just think of what we're seeing. Long for life. The same kind of stories, you know, all happening around us. And I would prefer that they stayed on the market and, uh, you know, continued. How do the owners
2: at Bell, how do they think there's a realistic chance of the company being yeah. delisted <laughs> with an offer of a 40% discount? Usually yeah. these kind of buyout offers are at 40, 50% premiums to their share price. What's happening there, David? Very confusing. Look. Uh, no, no, no,
7: I'm an accountant, okay, and I like to look at the real balance sheet. Why? Because that balance sheet that you prepare, that has that is audited, is submitted to the uh, company's you know company's department. It's public knowledge. Now, where they say this is, they are the directors, and they tell you this is what we think our business is worth. You know, this is the official account, and then they want to come and buy it out at a significant discount. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> what's the truth? Are the accounts that have been published rubbish or are you just trying to shift us (laughs) you know I find it very very amusing because always read the official accounts go through them in detail those are the accounts that the auditors sign and that the um, and that directors are accountable for so don't ignore them you know Don't, don't ignore what the market you know the markets one thing but read those accounts and then say, okay, what, what is the company? Where's the mismatch between what the directors say and everything in the market? You know, who's wrong? <laughs> Are we overvaluing the company and the market's right, or is it the other way around? In this case, they're involved in both. So, lovely story.
2: Interesting announcement from Sabania this morning relating to an acquisition of a nickel and copper mine in Brazil. It was a cautionary announcement. So, Sabania has a market cap of $150 billion. How big of an acquisition would constitute this being a
7: cautionary announcement? I think it's got to be 15%. Eh? I think but they do it. I, I'll be honest, I haven't looked through it in great detail. I've done the valuations. But uh, I, I think it's fair to let people know where you're heading, even if it's a small acquisition, particularly for Sabanya. You know, I'm a great Froneman man. I think he's great. And I think what he's done is just remarkable. But now that he's going into nickel, and, of course, it goes back to the relationship with Tesla. You know, this is all about battery power or future energy power. Now, if he's starting to shift there, well, we've got to watch because this might be one of many. You know, it's a shift in direction. He started off in gold, then he went to platinum and, now, and and palladium, and now he's going to, to, to other metals. So, you know, he's going where... The action. It's like watching young kids play soccer. You know, when you watch a six-year-old play soccer, they all rush to where the ball is, you know, that, and I love that. So, let, let's watch it, but I think, let's let's see what else he can do, because that's his attraction and appeal. You know, I'll they'll of
8: him.
2: Lastly, inflation seems to be the primary driver or the main concern in the markets at the moment. What is your chosen inflation hedge? Is it gold or Bitcoin or
7: a sector such no, as I, energy? I, I, no, for me, it's businesses. You know, I, I like, I, I think that I like growth businesses because that's the only way to overcome inflation. You know, if, if inflation if inflation's going to come, sorry, Justin, you just got to work harder and get more money because you know, it's hard to hedge. That that to me is the only way you could do is say, Well, if the petrol price is going up, I've got to go and just work a little bit harder, increase my productivity to overcome it. And that's why I like growth businesses because, from my you know my point of view, that's the uh, and those unconnected. You know, uh, and 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 I urge you to go look at some of the uh, businesses that release results like the like um, ASML and uh, Philips and places like that because. They just see future growth. They don't see short-term inflation. They just say, "Boy, the demand for chips is coming." <laughs> you know, it's a 10-year, this is a 10-year growth area. So that that for me is where we hedge ourselves against.
9: How does business empower our nation
10: by bringing projects to our tables, giving us technology that connects us, hospitals that care for us, and the tools that shape our cities? And by backing the next generation of business owners. That's why South Africa banks on business. Business banks on us. Standard Bank. It can be. Standard Bank is an authorized financial services and registered
9: credit provider. T's and C's apply. Several parties are vying for the mayorship of Johannesburg. The DA is one of the leading contenders in this uh, contest to take control of the city, and their candidate for mayorship is Dr. Mpo Palazzo, who's with me here. The, the, one of the big issues already in Joburg, and I think uh, this has been proposed by the, the current uh, council of Joburg, that's led by the ANC, and that is to take over the electricity debt of Soweto. Uh, from from Eskom. Do you go along with this approach of the ANC, the suggestion that the Soweto debt be taken over by the City of Joburg?
11: No, we are vehemently opposed to that idea. We're not opposed to the idea of city power taking over ESCOM supply areas. We believe that needs to happen because ESCOM is failing our people. I mean, you've got people in Soweto who haven't had electricity for up to three years. And that is, it's an injustice to the people of Soweto. Yes, there is a culture of non-payment, which is problematic. But there are also people in Soweto who are paying. And unfortunately for them, when Eskom decides to disconnect the non-payers, they disconnect everyone. And so even the ones who are paying get affected, which is really unfair. Um, Eskom is unable to govern. They're unable to deal with their matters. And they're punishing innocent residents in the process. So, yes, city power must take over. But the Democratic Alliance says the takeover must happen with conditions. And one of the conditions is exactly that, that ratepayers of Johannesburg are not going to absorb a debt, that was amassed by Eskom because of their own incompetency. You know, this was allowed by national government to go on for years, where Soweto residents were allowed to not pay for their services. If I look at Soweto in terms of demographic status, I would, I would pair it with places like Timbisa. They're very similar in terms of the kind of people that live there. Tembisa Timbisa, people are paying for electricity, so there's really no excuse for Soweto people who are employed and who can afford to pay. From
9: the DA's point of view, what do you think the priorities are for, for Jobo?
11: So we've been liaising or we've been talking to residents, business, um, civil society to hear from them where they are or where they feel the city is at the moment and where they'd like to see the city going. And we've put together a seven pillar manifesto in response to what they need. Unfortunately, when the DA led administration left the city or lost the city in 2019, The city collapsed. You know, there's been a collapse in basic service delivery. Uh, We've had a huge backlog of infrastructure that's just worsened um, in the last two years. And so it seems as though people really want a sense of normality restored in Johannesburg, just a sense of functionality. So they want to know that they will open their tap and water will come out. You know, they want to know they'll have an uninterrupted supply of electricity, roads that are surfaced, um, streets that are clean and proper toilets. Those are the kind of things that people are asking for. And of course, crime is another big concern for residents. So the first pillar in our seven pillar manifesto focuses on basic service delivery. We will have service standards that are improved to make sure that turnaround times are quick and people get um, a responsive government. The second one is on public safety. And what we'll be doing there is integrating policing with SAPs, with private law enforcement as as well as community law enforcement organizations will strengthen um, visibility by having more patrollers. Um, elsewhere where we govern in the country where the Democratic Alliance governs, we we have uh, foot patrollers, we've got vehicle patrols, we've got motorcycle patrols. So we will introduce that sort of thing in Johannesburg.
9: And what about loneliness in the city? Because, uh, you know, there's always rubbish piling up everywhere in the cities.
11: What we're going to do is we're going to be profiling who exactly is in the inner city. I mean, we've got a sense already. So the other day I took a walk through the transport hub in the Newark area. I spoke to a lot of the informal traders. If you look at where they're trading, they don't have proper trading spaces. So we need to give them proper structures to trade. And with those, they need also supportive infrastructure. For instance, uh, toilets. Um, If you look at how they're helping themselves, there's buckets in full view of everyone that they're using. I mean, how are we supposed to clean up the inner city while such things are happening? They don't have proper waste bins, proper access to water. So we need to, first of all, um, as governments do our bit, you know, in creating an enabling environment, because we believe in the informal economy, it's important for job creation and we want to protect it and help it grow. But we need to do our bit. And then we can enforce. Uh, Mm. We can do proper law enforcement, having done our part, um, again, by having these feet on the ground, you know, with our JMPD law enforcement officers on the ground. That's how we will do enforcement. But we need to empower people to comply with bylaws. Well,
9: Jobeck brags about uh, and regards itself, even the residents regard it as a major city. It is obviously a major city, one of the big cities in the world. But public transport is a mess. How come we've lived with this mess for this long? It's actually getting worse. I'm thinking of the... uh, train commuter service, for instance. You know, where is the political will and what is the DA saying about that? We we mentioned Soweto as an example. People of Soweto do not have transport except uh, for the taxis and maybe via transport. But major mode of transport were trains and they are not running anymore.
11: That's very true. Unfortunately, process is responsible for trains. And the DA at a national level is really looking at all these failing state-owned entities and looking at how they can be better devolution to the lowest level of government so that we can have better control uh, at the call phase of service delivery. We're doing it with Eskom. We're looking at rent water failures as well. So unfortunately at the moment, you know, we can only operate within our mandate and we can only drive intergovernmental relations. But I, I don't know if I have confidence, you know, that process can turn around looking at what's been happening. Many economies around the world are built by good transport systems that facilitate the movement of people to where opportunities are. But there are other ways of making sure that people are close to opportunities. For instance, densification, you know, particularly in our urban nodes where there are opportunities. Um, That's a big issue right now in the city where a a nodal review was approved by council without looking at, again, uh, conditions that needed to be in place for that kind of densification to happen. A lot of our people in in the red paying areas where we want to densify have concerns about infrastructure, where they're having constant outages, yet we want to bring in more people into those areas. So that's something that we need to be reviewing when we come back in after these elections so that we take care of all those concerns. Social amenities, have we looked at schools, have we looked at whatever other facilities that would be needed to support that kind of densification? I believe that it's doable, but we need to have a proper plan. And yes, that would then eliminate the need to travel for 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 opportunities. You can then live within um, close enough range of opportunities. But that, of course, is a process. And yes, I agree that we need to look at improving our transport system.
9: And uh, the land invasions, occupations of of public lands in uh, in in Joburg, the setting up of informal settlements everywhere. How do you propose to resolve? the growth of the population and the settlement or the setting up of informal settlements in Johannesburg itself and even on the outskirts of Joburg.
11: Population growth in a city like Joburg is almost inevitable. Joburg being the land of opportunity, it's still seen that way by many. uh, Many of us did not grow up in Johannesburg. Here we are. We've found opportunity here. We've settled in Joburg. However, the planning department in the city exists for a reason. We would like to plan, you know, how the city grows. We'd like to take into consideration the different interests. We just spoke about economic opportunities, for instance, with urban sprawl that's uncontrolled. People end up in the outskirts of the city far from opportunities, and then they demand retrospectively you know to be catered for and that makes things very difficult because that's not how you plan and so we will be setting up a special unit a specialized unit that that will be looking at land invasions law enforcement um i, I do believe that it's a need because it's a big problem in the city um we it, it causes also a lot of friction between us and people who've settled in those areas lawfully in in developed suburban even urban areas it, it creates really a lot of tension and we do need to address it we realize that people need shelter but there are ways there are processes and we we want our housing department to be able to look at social housing that is led by the city's planning department as opposed to allowing people to lead
9: you are the da's leading candidate to be mayor of Joburg, but i wonder how you live with the criticism or the accusation repeatedly that many of the uh, DA candidates, black candidates face and that is you are fronting DA is a white party and many people would say I hear you I like your story I appreciate what you're saying but you are controlled by white folks. How do you feel about that, and how, how do you counter that kind of accusation?
11: I think there's a lot of misconceptions about the Democratic Alliance. Unfortunately, a lot of people who say these things have never given themselves a chance to experience the Democratic Alliance for themselves or to really critically look at the people who are driving these narratives. A lot of them have agendas. You know, there's propaganda. We know it's driven by media, by other political parties, and so we're used to it. Anything in the DA, I'm not allowed to disagree with a white person. If I disagree with a white person, it's racism, you know, in the DA. But in the ANC, a black person and a black person can disagree. So people understand that tensions uh, exist. People understand people will have differences of opinion. It's almost, um, it, it's almost like in the DA, it's not allowed, you know, because, because we have a diverse group of people. The Democratic Alliance is the most diverse party in this country, if not the only diverse party in this country. And I believe that it's most representative of South Africa. Africa. South Africa is a rainbow nation, and for me, there's no other place I'd rather be.
1: This Currency Focus is proudly brought to you by Treasury One, South Africa's leading treasury solutions company that unlocks financial value for your business.
2: I'm Joshua Roberts of Business, and with me for today's Currency Focus is Treasury One's Andres Saliers. The rand has been relatively steady against all the major currencies over the past two weeks or so. What are the driving factors behind the performance of the RAND in the last few weeks, Andre?
8: Well, in the last few weeks, uh, nothing has really changed. The drivers are still the Federal Reserve uh, and their decisions surrounding tapering, uh, what they will do regarding uh, interest rates uh, and how the employment figures gel out uh, that influences them. But over the last couple of days, um, we've got some Turkish delight flavoring into the Rand here with the Turkish coming in, hiking interest rates, so did Russia. Uh, but out of uh, Turkey, there's also the rumors of firing 10 of their ministers and that creates a little bit of havoc uh, in terms of emerging market space. And we have seen the Rand giving back some 20 cents since Friday to the levels where we are trading today.
6: There's been
2: more issues at Transnet with Tungela and Sasol both coming out last week outlining that Transnet's incompetence is resulting in tens of millions of rands in lost exports. If our commodity producers continue to have a problem exporting their product, will this have a damaging effect to the rand?
8: That will certainly have a damaging effect to the rand because, you know, we can produce as much as we want to. If we can't deliver it on the other side uh, and get payment for our exports, it is a problem. Uh, But one must immediately just add here that it's not just in South Africa that we have these kinds of problems. We have problems in terms of uh, harbors and the logistics side right throughout the world, in China, in America, wherever. You can call the names and they have logistical problems and it's a container problem. It's a compounding problem uh, in in getting goods to the final user at the end, Uh, And if it continues, definitely it will have an impact, uh, both on your trade figures and on the RAND.
2: There's important policy decisions to come out of not only the South African Reserve Bank, but central banks around the world in the coming months. Focusing specifically on the U.S., if there's a rate hike by Fed Jerome Powell before the South African Reserve Bank announces, what will that do to the RAND?
8: If there's an announcement in the U.S. increasing interest rates before the South African Reserve Bank, then that would be, uh, I think, a little bit negative towards the end and we could see the value of the currency lose somewhat of its value. I very much doubt whether that will happen. Uh, I think the Reserve Bank will be in a position to move before the Federal Reserve as the Federal Reserve has got quite a little bit of tapering to do Uh, And when one speaks about tapering, that's a buyback of all the money that they've pushed into the markets during their quantitative easing programs. And before they've done that uh, and and, and tapered on that uh, stimulus packages that they've put into, on that quantitative easing packages, they will not move on interest rates.
2: You talked about Turkish delight earlier. What is the correlation between the Turkish lira and the RAND and why are we moving negatively with the Turkish lira?
8: Well, the Turkish lira, the, the Tur- yeah, the Turkish lira, the rand, the Brazilian real, all those emerging markets currencies uh, is actually correlated to each other to a greater or lesser extent. And whenever there is a hiccup in either of the in- emerging markets, you will have an influence. Uh, as I say, to a greater or a lesser extent in all your other emerging markets. So not a direct correlation, but because they all fall within the emerging market space, there will be a move in tandem. If the one moves, uh, the others will also move.
2: What are the technical analysis charts telling us about the Rand dollar price action over the short term, Andre?
8: Okay, short term, it's telling us that we could be testing The uh, upper band of 15 again, uh, but chances are that it will fail at that level uh, and retreat back down to levels of around 14 and a half, 1460. So the technical side tells us that we will be for the next two to three months uh, remain within a band of 1440 to 1510, with more or less oscillating around call it the midpoints around the 1470 level.
2: And what are the biggest risks to the RAND? Why wouldn't they follow the patterns that you've just pronounced?
8: Why would they not follow the patterns? The outside risk is, is a disastrous outcome in terms of our election, uh, a disastrous weekend of uh, turmoil before the elections or directly thereafter. Uh, I give that a very, very slim chance. And then, obviously, uh, the biggest risk lies to the side of what happens internationally if we see a very quick and sudden change from the Federal Reserve. Uh, But if you look at the history on the Federal Reserve and the way they've acted over the last couple of years, once again, it's a very, very slim chance that something like that will happen. We didn't speak too much about China. We have to watch China very, very carefully as well. They have a massive debt problem. We all know about the Evergrande situation. We know that their corporate debt stands at two hundred and eighty percent, some two hundred and eighty percent of GDP, um, and that's a, a a really sticky little toffee into the uh, economy of the Chinese. Uh, we have seen their GDP figures coming in slightly below the 5% last week, so their growth, not as much as what everybody expected it to be, definitely a slowdown. I've mentioned that there's also problems in their logistical side in terms of et etc. Uh, they have been asked to close some of their factories or work lesser hours. Uh, they've been asked to close some of their shops to uh, shorter uh, shopping hours, and that will have an impact on the Chinese economy. If that comes down uh, and the GDP comes even in a lot lower, it will also definitely be negative for emerging markets.
2: Why is China so important to the RAND volatility?
8: It is one of our biggest trading counterparts, apart from Europe and the US. Uh, We do import and export a heck of a lot to China, especially on the commodity side. So, any really big slowdown in the Chinese economy and change in the demand levels, specifically uh, on the commodity side, will dramatically impact uh, on our uh, mining sector uh, and also on our retail sector. So, by far, because it's such a big trading counterpart with us, big impact if they slow down.
1: This Currency Focus was proudly brought to you by Treasury One, South Africa's leading treasury solutions company that unlocks financial value for your business.
3: This interview is brought to you by First Rand. I'm Jared Neves for Business. News. Described as magnificent and inspiring by esteemed voices across the world, the Cape Town Opera is an institution Cape Capetonians and South Africans alike can be proud of. The winners of the 2013 International Opera Awards Chorus of the Year, it is the continent's premier opera company and one of SA's largest permanent non-profit performing arts organizations. Joining me to discuss the business side of the organization is Alex Gabriel, Managing Director. Before we get into the details, would you like to sketch out Cape Town Opera's history and your involvement there?
10: So, Cape Town Opera was founded in 1999, It sort of grew out of the performing arts organisations that existed at the time. It is one of the largest performing arts organisations in South Africa. And what we do is we don't only do opera and operettas and musicals, we also do choral concerts, art song concerts. We've commissioned South African operas, which we've toured internationally. So it's all that sort of stuff that we do. We also have a youth development and education department that does skills training all over the country. And we provide permanent employment to a lot of people in the arts industry, opera practitioners, singers, also ad hoc contracts, you know, so it's not just the permanent employment that we do. I studied as a pianist at UCT and at my in my time there I I, I mainly worked with singers because it's what I enjoyed the most. Then a couple of years ago I moved into financial services and I worked there for 14 years. But this combo of of music and you know the finances led me
3: here. How has COVID nineteen affected the performance arts industry and in turn revenue?
10: Uh yeah, the answer to that is it's decimated the performing arts industry. I mean, I'm mindful that we're still standing. But in you know, we were box office revenue for, you know, local box office revenue. We've probably by the end of the year we will have lost about two million. We used to bolster our income with international and of course we haven't been able to do that, so that's also hit our bottom quite a lot. Oh, well, a positive is that a lot of our most amazing singers that are working in Europe and in America, they had their build and so they, were able, they came back home and we have been able to offer them work, which has been great for our audiences, great for them. So that's been a huge positive. In fact, if any of your listeners are booking for our Puccini operas that we're doing in November, you'll hear a lot of amazingly talented voices. So do come.
3: Aside from ticket sales, how does the Cape Town Opera create an income?
10: So ticket sales are actually quite a small proportion of our income. As you would imagine, putting on a production is enormously expensive. You've got sets and costumes and all of that sort of stuff. You know, and we have a, a full-time salaried core-time young artist program. We've got a youth development and education department, plus all our permanent employees that keeps the company going. So you can imagine that ticket sales, you know, don't cover all of that. As I mentioned earlier, the touring also, you know, we haven't been able to do much of that. So that used to provide a huge additional income for us. This is true for opera companies across the world. The proportions just differ is that our main source is funding. Currently, 60% from trusts and foundations and and organizations like that that support us. 25% comes from local government and the city of Cape Town. 5% 5% from the national government and then the rest is, is sort of um, box office and patrons and individuals, things like that. Because we're so reliant on funding is to make sure that we offer value to funders fundamentally and to the society that we live in. This is a drum we bang quite a lot. So we work very hard on that um, and to get that message out and say, okay, this is why we are here and why we should be here. So apart from obviously the, 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 standard of our productions that we're incredibly proud of and you know providing this platform for our amazing singers it's not to be overlooked the economic impact that we have in the 21 years of Keaton Opera's existence we've put about 400 million back into the economy you know because bear in mind that that opera is sort of the art form that combines all the art forms so it's not just musicians and singers and all that you know we've got costume designers and set builders and costume makers and carpenters and hair and makeup and, you know, the works, it's all involved in making an opera. And, you know, so therefore there's quite a few jobs that we support. I sort of call it the artistic ecosystem. You know, we underpin that in Cape Town and in South Africa to a large degree. So this is incredibly important. I think we all know the value of music in our lives. It's very difficult to put your finger on it. I think we all instinctively know it, but it's very difficult. And the indirect benefits are huge. You know, you you can't forget that cities, you know, if you want to attract, for example, these critical skills, they'll come to a city that's got a very good culture, cultural city, probably has better restaurants. You know, the whole lifestyle it just changes, you know, and, and remember also that artists, you know, they teach your kids, they work in related industries like advertising, whatever. So I think it's important to bring across that if you were to lose an arts organisation, the skills that you lose that, that just go missing because of that, because people move them they go somewhere where they can find work, it would be devastating. This is the kind of bigger picture that we try and bring across to audiences in general
3: what sets you apart from other opera companies in the industry
10: first and foremost i would say the quality of the voices in south africa i can't overstate this enough it literally is a national asset i don't know there's something in the air or the water we just produce the most incredible voices they're there and that i think is the first is the biggest thing for us secondly i would say because of south africa's history and the makeup of its population we have such a varied such a well of stories that we we want to tell and that people across the world want to hear i think that's also massive so it's quite an easy sell for us it's it's immensely popular and, and people want to hear all these things and you know we the rainbow nation people care about south africa and i think that makes us unique in that way and then i'll also say that south africans you know we've i'm a proud south african and we've got yes, and it's the best word i have for it you know, if you walk in our doors, there's just an energy and optimism about this company and what we do. It's it's no problem is too big. So, I think that makes us quite special.
3: On your website, I see that the Cape Town Opera provides skills development and training to young artists. Could you tell us a bit about that?
10: Oh, I'd love to tell you about that because it's such an important part of what we do. So we have a youth development and education department. In the 21 years that they've been going, they've we've reached over 750,000 kids with our music development and education program so that they bring, they go out the length and breadth of the country and they bring opera and music to disadvantaged communities. What I want to be clear about is that, you know, it sounds all, you know, it's an easy thing to say, but how it actually impacts people's lives. So if any of the listeners were to go to our YouTube channel, there's a clip by um, Masabane Cecilia Rangwanashana. You'll know she has just won the Song Prize at the Cardiff Singer of the World. And there's a little five-minute clip on our YouTube channel where she explains what it meant to her when she saw Cape Town Opera for the first time in her hometown and how it looked path to where she now is, which is a superstar internationally. And she's not the only one. You know, like Golda Schultz has been through our Young Artist Programme, Vuvu Porfu kumeza machikiza you know the, the the names are endless and the, the talent is all there and it's important that we go out there and find it and you know that we are a home for that so I, you know i just wanted to be clear that it's not just as easy to spout numbers and stuff but i i really urge people to go and watch that clip it will move you to tears it's really beautifully done and it tell you a lot about what we do and how we do it the team also for the last nine years they've done the national schools tour which prepares high school south african coralized estate fit Schools Coralized Edford, and this is massively popular as well. I think they get something like 7,000 high school learners are involved in this every single year. The audience numbers are, I think the numbers are like 5,000 for each day of the event. It's massive. And we've been part of that, teaching the kids the repertoire for that that, um, program for the last nine years. One of our biggest stars, Pretty Yende, actually made her start in the South African schools, Coralized Edwards. When COVID hit, the team couldn't go out anymore and so they created an online version of it which is called Sing Like a Pro, that's also on our YouTube channel. So they immediately just redirected and so that's kind of what we've been doing at the moment and now we're going to go back, hopefully, to doing it live. The team have also been part of the Western Cape, Cape District Choral Training Festival mostly the Overberg um, in the Western Cape where they've gone out and you know they've, they've been helping with vocal ensembles they train in arts management and obviously like a spin-off of this is that you're, you're also introducing opera to a wider community and these are the patrons of the future so that's very important. A new development this year is a, something called Foundation Studio which they've started so they're currently they are two high school pupils that are part of it And what the intention of this is to bridge the gap for um, kids in disadvantaged communities where they're not subject music pupils. So to bridge that gap between what they know and getting them to be able to enroll at a university, in a university degree in music, and they're trying to bridge that gap. So currently it's voice lessons only, but we're hoping to build that into theory and keyboard lessons as well.
1: Well, thanks for being with us this uh, 25th of October, 2021. We look forward to being back in your company again, same time, same place tomorrow. Until then, from our team, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at BizNews.